0: I don't know if this is still done, but when uh, I was young, there was a ritual that was performed when something had to be done that nobody wanted to do. It was called drawing straws. Do people still draw straws today? Fernando says yes, because uh, in my youth a number of short sticks or straws of different lengths would be gathered together, the same numbers in the group, looking to avoid the job that was going to be handed out. Then the the sticks were gathered in your hand, made to look the same length. And one by one, each person would draw out a straw until everyone had their own. Then they would compare the straws, and short straw won, or lost, depending on how you look at this. Those days were long ago. I can't even remember the last time I drew straws. Now as a grown-up, of course, raising children, having responsibility. There's no point in drawing straws because the adult has drawn the short straw already. Permanently. You do what has to be done. Now drawing straws is a type of the casting of lots. One of the two important themes of today's passage in Acts. Last week we saw the apostles at a gathering of 120 believers in an upper room. It just says an upper room. We do not know that it is the upper room of the Last Supper. And Peter addressed them. To recap last week's scripture, In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers, the company of persons in all, about 120, and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us, and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man bought a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their own language, akeldama that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate, let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So that brings us to today's scripture and our last message in the first chapter of Acts. So I'll read it through and then we'll break it down. Peter is here speaking in Acts Verse 1, verses 21 through 26. So, one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two. Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice. And Matthias and they prayed and said you Lord who know the hearts of all show which one of us of show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place and they cast lots for them and the lot fell on Matthias and he was numbered with the eleven apostles so Here's my first question of the day, which is, um, what was Jesus' point of naming 12 apostles? What is the significance? Because the 12 apostles weren't the only disciples of Jesus. Chapter 10 of Luke tells us this. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go on your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will be will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking. What they provide for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, Go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Note that there are 72. Now, depending on the version of the Bible you're using, it might say 70. 70 or 72, it doesn't really make much difference. The ancient manuscripts are uh, divided almost 50-50 on whether it was 70 or 72. So somewhere down the road, somebody made a transcription error, but that doesn't matter because we're not even given their names. We're only given the names of the 12 uh, apostles. Note that these 72 disciples are in addition to the original 12 One chapter back in Luke we read, and he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever, whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And whenever they do not receive you, when you leave that town shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them and they departed and went through the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere and so these two groups the 12 and the 72 are given roughly the same job description go and proclaim the coming the coming of the lord is near so there's 84 disciples in the same ministry. Now, we know that the 12 apostles are gathered here in the upper room. There's 120 people. We know that some of those other 72 are among, make up the 120. But one question is, and this is still debated by people today, why replace Judas at all? Why name a 12th disciple? Because God knows. That Saul of Tarsus is going to become Paul the Apostle. That would make the 12th, right? Why have 12? I can give you two possible reasons for that. One would be a morale problem. You've just lost one of the 12 that you've been walking with for three years. He's just committed suicide. Jesus has been crucified. It's one way of saying that not everybody has fallen on the wayside. We still have a number of people willing to continue the work. In fact, only one has fallen away. Restoring the number made a statement that though one may have left for his own place, the others remained. But I think the main reason would be why Jesus chose 12 apostles in the first place. Why 12? Well, the number 12 was very significant to the Israelites. We have Jacob. He had 12 sons. They become the 12 tribes of Israel. Probably because of this, when they set up the tabernacle, there were to be 12 cakes at the dedication of the tabernacle, along with 12 silver platters, 12 silver bowls, 12 gold pans, 12 rams, 12 young bulls, 12 male lambs, 12 goat kids, brought in over 12 days. You see a theme here? 12 is a number that was special to the Israelites. The number 12 shows up all through the Old Testament, the number 12 symbolizes perfection or completion. Now, I know you're about to say, Mike, um, I thought the number 7 symbolized perfection. Okay, it does. But 7 symbolizes a temporal or earthly perfection. Number 12 is the symbol for eternal perfection. In Matthew 19.28, for instance, Jesus tells his 12 disciples what their inheritance will be after following him, because they were concerned about it. They gave up their livelihoods. They gave up their families. They gave up their homes. And basically, they wanted to know, really, what they were going to have after all this. And in uh, Matthew 19.28, Jesus says, And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me... Oh, interesting note here. I just read those two paragraphs backwards, so let me read them correctly. Thank you. I glued them into my page wrong. That's how sophisticated I am in the preparing of sermons. Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. The 12 apostles have eternal thrones in the New Jerusalem. So when Jesus called the 12 apostles, he was pointing to the eternal, perfect authority of he and his church. But it was also to assure the Jews through the appointing of 12 that he was still a Jew. The number 12 was significant to him and holy to him, and that he was still one of them. There was some grumbling in the priestly community about some of his teachings. He pointed out that the leadership of the day worried about tithing their mint and cumin while ignoring the weightier things of the law. When the complaints that his disciples were not obeying the pharisaical laws, Jesus said that he came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. So appointing 12 pointed back to that he understood the Jewish people and the Jewish laws. So with that bit of background, let's look at verse 21 through 22. So one of the men who have accompanied us us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us, and it's a quote, a witness to his resurrection. So here's what Peter says and what Peter doesn't say. The man who is to replace Judas has to have been a a, a disciple from the very beginning. He must have seen the baptism of John of Jesus He must have uh, been one who was constantly with Jesus and the 12. This qualification was because he was to be a witness not just to the resurrection but to the entirety of Jesus' ministry. The miracles, the crowds, and the teaching. Now it does not say that the replacement apostle was one of the 72 or the 70, whichever yours says. But it is a reasonable assumption to make given the criteria for naming the new apostle that he was witness to all that Jesus did. He had to be an eyewitness to the entire ministry of Jesus. So why is that? Well, Pastor Bill back there was a former cop and there had been a lot of trials. An eyewitness is the highest form of witness in a trial. Hearsay evidence is not as strong as somebody saying, I saw what just happened. This is my version of it. And, and Bill can probably also tell you that uh, eyewitnesses are often contradictory, because they say things, see things from different vantage points, just like the gospels themselves do, and give a different version of a story from somebody else's eyes. An eyewitness saw what happened. They didn't hear it from a friend or anyone else. The apostles were to be Christ's eyewitnesses to the world. Verse 23 says, And they put forward to Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And this is the only place that Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, Shows up in the Bible. This one mention. We never see him again and we never saw him before. Barsabbas may mean son of the Sabbath. Justice means just. And some have postulated that this was actually a way of saying that James the just was considered and rejected. Some have said that. I'm not saying that. Tradition says that Joseph the Just went on to be the bishop of Eleutheropolis, a town about 53 miles south of Jerusalem, and that he was martyred there. But tradition, it does not show up in the Bible. Again, this verse and verse 26 are the only places that Matthias shows up in Scripture. Verse 24 says, And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, Show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry, an apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. This prayer is notable for three things, one of which we covered last week, that Judas turned aside to go to his own place, or also translated the place of his choosing, or where he belongs. The second notable point is that They pray to Jesus that Jesus will pick, an apostle, as he picked the original 12. As Christ knows the hearts of all, and that he would make the choice known to them. And then the third notable point is for what comes next in verse 26. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias. And he was numbered with the 11 apostles. And you might say, as I might have a long time ago, What? They cast lots for something as important as choosing the replacement apostle, the man to sit in one of the 12 thrones in the New Jerusalem for eternity. Matthias drew the short straw, or, or the long straw, whichever you want to give it to. Where's the fairness in that? You gamble for such an eternal event Well, put your mind at ease. They weren't gambling. There are three types of casting lots in the Bible. One type was gambling, and we see that at the crucifixion. Jesus' garments were gambled for by the soldiers at the foot of the cross because they weren't making a decision that was sort of winner-take-all. So gambling was one form of casting lots, But there are two other types that are seen in the Bible. One is used to just make an impartial decision on something you find important. In 1 Chronicles 24, lots were cast into the distribution of priestly office. In Joshua 18.10, they're cast to divide the land among the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, so the men arose, it says, and Joshua charged those who went to write the description of the land saying, go up and down in the land and write a description and return to me. And I will cast lots for you here before the Lord in Shiloh. So the men went and passed up and down in the land and wrote in a book a description of it by towns in seven divisions. Then they came to Joshua to the camp at Shiloh and Joshua cast lots for them in Shiloh before the Lord. And there Joshua apportioned the land to the people of Israel, to each his portion. So basically they just divided up the land by casting lots, and who got what lot decided what land they got. Then there were one other time when lots were cast, and it was to determine God's will in a matter. Now... We're all Calvinists here. I can say that. Do we believe that God determines all events? Yes, we do. God knows what's going to happen before it happens. It is in his will. Well, the high priest of Israel carried on his breastplate two objects called the Urim and Thummim that he would use to determine the will of God. And we don't know exactly what what those two were. Some have speculated that they were two stones, but that also is another type of uh, casting lots. You could cast lots with, you would have two stones, a white stone for yes and a black stone for no, and it would be hidden, and you would ask the question, pull one out. There's your answer. As Proverbs 16.37 says, the lot is cast into the lap, but the decision is the Lord's. You could also cast lots with two arrows, one with a, uh, a line painted on it. Romans had dice. We know that. They had dice as early as the uh, 6th century BC. Different sticks, lengths of sticks were also used, just like our drawing of straws. So there were many ways to cast lots. There are 88 occurrences of casting lots in the Old Testament and 7 in the New the interesting thing about this passage in acts as i've said in other things is this is the last time lots are cast in the bible it ends here we've had a number of lasts in the book of acts this is just another so why did the casting of lots end well As I pointed out with the drawing of straws, it hasn't entirely ended. Some people gamble on state-sponsored lotteries. Where do you think the lot in lotteries came from? It came from the casting of lots. In the time of Thomas Aquinas, which was 1225 to 1274, Casting lots was a way of settling disputes in the allotting of inheritances. You catch the lot in the allotting. In 2012, the uh, Coptic Orthodox Church, and that's the church in Egypt, in order to avoid a popularity contest in naming their pope, cast lots for their next pope. And that's how they got Pope the II. And in 2006, and I like this one especially, in 2006, federal judge Gregory Purcell ordered that a contentious debate that was tying up his courtroom that had not been able to be adjudicated in court, he ordered that it be decided in front of the court by a game of rock, paper, scissors. Okay? which, by the way, has been around almost 2,000 years uh, and came from the uh, Han Dynasty in China. Who knew? So, why do we not any longer divine God's will by lot anymore? The answer can be found in next week's passage in Acts chapter 2. In Old Testament times, we see that the Holy Spirit rested often on one individual. We talked about the story of Moses and Aaron and Miriam complaining that did not God also work through them, and God took them, well, he didn't take them aside, took them aside with Moses, too, and said, I speak to Moses face to face, not you, but God's spirit rested on basically one person at a time. Yet we see Moses instructing Aaron to cast lots to choose a scapegoat to place the sins of Israel upon. Now, did God tell Moses face to face which goat was going to be chosen? Because when Israel demanded a king From the prophet Samuel, we see that God clearly identified Saul as the man to become king to Samuel beforehand. And yet, before the people, Samuel cast lots and the lot fell to Saul, confirming God's choice. Now, Samuel already knew that it was Saul. Why did he cast lots? Well, because the Holy Spirit only rested on one person. And they wanted the people to know that it was God's will and not their own whim on this choosing. So, why is Acts 1 then the end of casting lots in the church? It's because in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit descends on all believers. On all believers, it's no longer resting in one man. The Holy Spirit inside of us gives each person the ability to discern God's will apart from the casting of lots. We have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of God within us. No sticks, dice, or stones are necessary. Now the funny thing is, and maybe it's not funny, I didn't really get a laugh out of it, the apostles did not need to cast lots to choose Matthias. In John twenty nineteen through 23, we see Jesus appearing to the disciples after the resurrection. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone... It is withheld. I have seen this described as Jesus giving the disciples a, a starter kit of the Holy Spirit to hold them out until Pentecost. I don't know about that, but other commentators have suggested that Jesus' followers did not understand what Jesus had just done or how the Holy Spirit now inside of them was to be used. So instead of using that new power that they had, the Spirit of God within them, they cast lots instead, using that tried and true method to replace Judas. But it would be the last time. And instead of the simple breathing on of the Holy Spirit, yeah, okay, if they didn't understand what the breathing on of the Holy Spirit meant, Jesus made sure in Acts 2 that they understood because there wasn't a breathing on. There was a roaring rushing of wind sound. And if they didn't get that part of it and understand that they had received the, the Spirit, um, they got divided tongues like flames coming down and landing on their head. Right? So... And if that didn't get their attention and let them know that they had the Holy Spirit, then maybe the fact that these bumpkin Galileans, who couldn't speak their own language competently, were suddenly speaking every known language in the world, and people understood them perfectly as though they were born in the same land. Instead of a simple breath... Jesus gave them sound, light, and action. And yes, the believers knew then what they'd been given. The casting of lots died out because the decider of lots now lived inside all believers. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we know that there is no chance in the world we know that there is no luck there is providence we know that that nothing is outside the realm of your control lord let us fully understand that take it to heart and rely on the spirit when the time gets tough or the time is easy we pray these things in jesus name amen